Welcome back. Clock's on the stove. We got a little college football. I think week nine. Week yeah. nine, episode 110. Your usual host, myself, Grayson Fisher, with me, the one and only Zachary Watts. Yes, sir. We have um only four games that really appeal to us. Three, honestly, but one you kind of gotta you gotta put in there. And then we got some topics to discuss. Um a lot of things going on in the sports world, but let's dive into our first game. Let me pull it up. That's uh, my bad. I didn't pull it up on my phone. Our first game of our slate of four. Oh, dude, what is good with my phone? Our first game of our slate of four is number six, Oklahoma traveling to Kansas. Oklahoma 7-0, Kansas 5-2. This game is noon on Fox. Oklahoma's coming in at a minus nine. When I see this game, Zach, the first thing I look at, Oklahoma struggles against a running quarterback. We saw that last week in uh, UCF with John Reese Plumley, And you know who's got a really good running quarterback? Kansas. Rock chop, baby. Kansas. Now, I know, I, I think Jason Bean has played the majority of their games. Yeah, was he not? Yes. Yeah, was he not battling an injury or something along those lines? Yeah, no, that's um, that's Jalen Daniels. That's right. That's what I means like that. Yeah, yeah. I don't know if Jalen Daniels is still playing right now. Actually, I'm gonna check real quick just so I don't sound dumb. But I think that they've kind of just been rocking with Bean. Yeah, they've been rocking with Bean. He's still, uh, I mean, he's crazy good. Even when they lost Oklahoma State, he still threw for five touchdowns. He's good. They move the ball around a lot. Um. Oklahoma side of things, I think they're an extremely underrated team. I think Dylan Gabriel should be getting talked about for the Heisman and isn't. I'm also a huge Brett Venables guy. We talked about it on the pod once before. If you're an offensive powerhouse, you know you're good to the SEC. You need a really good defensive mastermind. You got the best guy in the country at the time. You know, he was leading Clemson. And look at the downfall of Clemson since Brett Venables has left. I'm not saying there's a coincidence there. But all I am saying is I think Kansas is going to keep this game sneakily close and make it scary. I think Oklahoma pulls away at the end. And I'm going to take Oklahoma minus nine. I think Dylan Gabriel is going to have a game. I just don't – I think that if Jalen Daniels was playing, the threat of his feet would be a lot more favorable for Kansas. This is not the same team under Bean. Bean's good. He's just not Jalen Daniels, who is a potential Heisman, in my opinion. Zach Watts. Yeah, I'm pretty much sitting in the same boat, although I'm probably going to take Kansas to cover in this one. Um mainly because I do respect Brent Venables and the kind of defensive scheme he's brought to the sort of Big 12, well, they're going to SEC, but Big 12 for now. Um, they have a lot in their favor. I think they're better team all around, you know, having to bounce back from Lincoln Riley, leaving the fact that they were able to just reload that roster and get the amount of quality guys out on the football field to win them games is super impressive. I think Dylan Gabriel has made a fantastic transition from UCF and to a tougher uh, environment at Oklahoma and he's thrived for the most part. I mean, just beat his old school. He's living the good life. I don't think he has any complaints in that regard. Looking more so at Kansas, you know, they haven't really done anything to like surprise me this year. Like they're not world beaters by any means, but at the same time, you know, we're looking at the number one and number two offense in all of college, college football scoring wise. Uh, I'm not going to say talent wise, but you know, in terms of putting points on the board, we are looking at number one and number two. So points will be scored in this game. Um, so I am probably going to lean towards the over, no matter how high they make it, just because these teams 65 are 65 and a half. Jeez, that is so high, but we're going to take it anyway, because why not? It just seems like a game built for scoring points. I mean, Whether... both, both of these teams have scored damn near 60 or higher every game. 
Exactly. And, you know, it's not like they're going to go, they're not going to go into their team meetings preaching about the power of bears 86 defenses. Like, no, they're just going to go out there and be like, let's throw even more crazy shit out on the board. Like, that's just kind of how I see it going down. Um, Yeah. I don't know about Oklahoma pulling away late though. This just seems like one of those rivalry games that, you know, you never want to, you never want to see a team have the last laugh. So I feel like it's going to come down to the end. Um, it may be a scenario where, you know, last team that has the ball may win the game type of deal. And that would be very exciting for me. I, I think it'd be exciting for everyone. Even though Kansas isn't ranked, this is what you love about college football. It doesn't matter who you are that season. The history plays a part into the game. These teams have history against one another. They're going to be playing for a lot. I'm going to take Kansas to cover. I like that. It's going to be a fun game, interesting game to watch. Our next game, a big rivalry, one of the biggest rivalries in college football. We have the number one reigning back-to-back national champions, Georgia Bulldogs, playing in the Florida-Georgia game against the Florida Gators. Georgia's coming in at 7-0. The Gators are 5-2. Our line is set at UGA minus 14.5 with the over-under set right under 50 at 49. Zach Wass, what do you think about this game? Well, I'll just talk about the over-under because that's what stood out to me the most. Um, the only way this game is hitting the over is if Georgia decides to hang a 50-burger uh, on Florida, to be honest. Um, look, I was having this conversation earlier today about how Georgia's not the same they were in you know, the last two years. They're not as good as everyone says they are. But like, yeah, they're not rolling out 22 NFL players on offense and defense every year. That's just not plausible you're not going to see that year in the year out but they are a very quality football team one of the things that i think separates the top five programs in the college football kind of world compared to every other team is the penalties it's whether you commit a lot of penalties or not and you look at teams like michigan who we'll touch on later georgia um i'm actually not even going to bring up florida state in this because they're one of the worst teams in terms of terms of penalty I think that needs to be cleaned up if they want to make a legitimate college football push. Otherwise, it is going to come back to bite them. But, you know, Georgia just doesn't make a lot of mistakes. Every game you watch, it seems like the games finish so fast, partly and so because they're blowing teams out, but also because the play clock's always running. They don't have to stop for penalties. Like, it's just constant turnover after turnover, and you're just seeing quality football played through and through. And that's what makes them – when I look at this Florida team, you know, look – as much as people want to hate on Billy Napier, I still think he needs a little bit of time. Uh, yes, you would like to see results sooner rather than later, especially as an SEC football team. You know, you're always going to demand excellence. But, dude, you're in a market right now where teams are shifting within conferences. Teams are starting to fall off the map. You know, you're just trying to sustain. Like, Florida's in a boat right now where if you get rid of Billy Napier and you don't sign a better head coach, you may not even be in the SEC in a yeah. couple of years. Like shit can go really south really fast. So for them to kind of jump ship on him this soon would be alarming. I don't think Gator fans expect to win here, but they do need to be somewhat competitive. Uh, look, Graham Mertz has played decent. You know, he's he's honestly played better than he has at his years at Wisconsin. You know, he hasn't really hurt them in any ways where I felt like, like whenever I watch Gator highlights, because I don't watch Gator games, that's stupid. But when I watch Gator highlights, um, I'm never watching a game being like, damn, you know, if they had another quarterback, this game would have been won. Okay, maybe a couple times, but uh <laughs> they had Jordan Travis, but they do. Know, I, I watch their games and I'm just like, they're, they're a solid team. They're not a great team, but they're solid. They have what it takes. 
if Georgia goes out there and plays their worst football of their lives, they're going to lose this game. Like, let's, let's put that out there. Like, it's not like Florida doesn't stand a chance. Like they have a chance. I just don't see it happening. So, you know, I'm not going to beat around the bush anymore. I'm going to take uh Uga in this one. I don't know what the line is. I'm probably just going to take money line. 14 probably, and a half. Yeah, I'm just going to add it to a parlay and make the safe bet. It is a rivalry game. I believe the nickname for it is like what the largest cocktail party. I don't know the nickname for it. I believe it's called the largest cocktail party just because it's just. Yeah. Yeah. The cocktail party. Yeah. It's known for its ungodly tailgates and just fans going at it. And yeah, just, I know. I want to go to a Florida Georgia game so bad. I went to um, Jacksonville for Fourth of July a couple of years ago, and it was so much fun. And everyone was like, "Florida Georgia is the most fun thing in Jacksonville." Another, you know what their trophy is? What? It's a giant wooden oar that's carved out of a tree that sits on the border of Florida and Georgia. That it's is like a, tough. It's a ten foot oar. It's massive. It's huge. I've never seen it before. I've actually never seen them like because you know how like. When FSU and UF play, if UF or if FSU wins, they go and they grab the Gator head and they're like, rah, like just rah, rah shit. But like, I've never seen after the Florida Georgia game, someone out there just swinging a fucking oar around. All right, Zach, one sec. Matt. Yo, what's good? I'm on, I'm in a podcast right now. We're talking Florida Georgia game. You're on, you're on the mic. I'm on the mic? Yes. Can you hear him, Zach? Yeah, I can hear him. Well, you already know my stance. I think, I think. Georgia is not the same team as last year and the year before. I don't think they're deserving of number one, if I'm being completely honest. I think there's a couple other teams out there that I think deserve it. Um, And this game is in a neutral zone every year, and you know that anything can happen. I'm thinking the Gators, as long as they keep the momentum going and can get two good games in a row – I'm thinking that the Gators pull off an upset. No way. No way. No way. I thought you were going to say they cover, and I was going to be like, yeah, I, I agree with you. But you think they can win this game? I think I think we can go into Jacksonville and win this game. How is it done? What are the key – give me three key factors that Florida need to win this game. Key factors. Key plane crashes for Georgia. Yeah. We need to make deep passes, and we need to uh, stay aggressive with our run game and get ETN going. And we need to stop that white dude. What's his name? Brock Bowers? No, he, he's hurt. Yeah, he's not playing. I'm talking about, I'm talking about the other guy. McConkey? I don't know. I don't know. Oh, 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 oh. I think I know he's talking about. Whatever it is. I'm telling you, Brock Bowers being out also is very helpful. Mm-hmm. But uh, I will be in attendance, and I will be cheering on my Gators with every ounce of energy that I have in my body. All right, final score prediction before you hang up. Oof. I'm going to go uh, 20 to 24. Damn. All right, Matt, any last words before, before we get, let you go? Gators money line is plus four fifty. Take out a, a loan, throw it all on there, and then throw plus fourteen and a half for free money as well. Have a great night. All right, thank you, Matt. I'll go on. You too. See you. When uh, when Matt, when Matt said 
that Georgia is – by the way, he said exactly what I said everyone was making excuses for. They're not the same team as two years past. Yeah, yeah I just explained uh, why that is. Um, but to say that they're not deserving of the number one spot um, – Dude, if I went over to a girl's house twice and I fucked both times, and then if you were to ask, if you were to ask me, hey, if you go over to her house a third time, are you gonna fuck again? I'd probably say yeah. Yeah. So I, yeah. I think in that number one spot, respectfully, until they go over and don't fuck, they're still they're still number one. So yeah, I agree. I think the number one team stays the number one team regardless of how bad they play. I think I I think you should stay number one until you lose it. That's my personal opinion. Hundred percent. Um. I'm going to keep it short and sweet because Matt went on a rant there. I'm, I I don't think Florida's going to win, but I'm going to take Florida plus 14 and a half. It's a rivalry game. Graham Mertz, as much as I hate to say this, has not been the reason for their losses. He yeah. did not lose them those games. Their not defense wrong. lost them those games. Um. So, actually, no, he did the Utah game, he sucked ass. But the <laughs> Kentucky game, I think he had like a, almost a perfect QBR. He only had like three missed passes, but they fucking let up 400 rushing yards on defense. Yep. So, like, yeah, that's all. You're not going to win the game. Yeah, um, but, yeah, I do think they keep it close. I think they keep it interesting. This Billy Napier team reminds me a lot of – I know that's a weird reference, but they remind me a lot of West Virginia when they had Clint Trickett, where they would, like, get four losses, but they would beat, like, two good teams, and every loss was, like, a banger of a game. That's how I kind of feel about this Florida team. I, I don't think that – they're like there. I don't think they're top dog, but I think they have enough good players that they can keep a game alive. And I think that's what's yeah. going to happen. You don't, you're not Florida and have bad football players. Like that's not their issue. And I do agree with you. I, I don't think they should write off uh, Billy Napier so quick. I don't even think they should have gotten rid of Dan Mullen, but I think, now, I think, I think they, I think they cover. I, I'll say this in terms of the Dan Mullen thing, fantastic coach, terrible recruiter, dude, yeah. dude. You could not pull in recruits. Yeah, but you don't have to fire him to get your recruiting better. You can just hire a recruiting coordinator and just yeah. be like, Dan, back the fuck up. We got this. Yeah. But I feel like I feel like at least for me, like the head coach is a big part of like Yeah, why. bro, they can tell him what to say, dude. It's not dude, it's not that hard. It's really not that hard. Yeah. It'd be a lot harder if you're like, he's a really good recruiter and not a good coach. Cause then you're fucked. I mean, look at Willie Taggart. Yeah. Like Jobs. It's way better to be a good coach and a shitty recruiter. Shout out Kyle Kyle Whittingham, um, head coach for Utah, which actually opens up the door to our next game. Number eight Oregon traveling to number thirteen Utah. Both teams six and one. This game three thirty on Fox. Oregon's only loss to Washington. Utah's only loss to Oregon State. Utah announced that they will not play Cam Rising the rest of the year, as well as they just came off a spectacular win last weekend against USC, making them 3-0 and against Lincoln Riley. However, I don't think Utah wins this game. I know it's at home. Um, uh, it's money line. It's six and a half for Oregon. I'm going to take that. I think Utah beat USC because they their defense is solid. They're probably the best defense in the Pac-12. But they, they their offense isn't crazy. Without Cam Rising, they don't run up the scoreboard. Oregon's going to put 50 points on the board regardless of your defense, and you're going to have to match them. You know what I mean? And Utah can't do that. And um, I, I just think that that's why Washington did, because Washington can, but Utah can't run the scoreboard up. That's not how they play. I like Utah. I like Kyle Whittingham. I think they're they're good. I don't – I mean, look at USC. They had n almost no points in the first half. Um, what's his name? 
Caleb Williams had three picks in the first half. There was no point. So Utah was able to keep it slow and boring. Bo Nix isn't going to turn it over as much. As much. Also, I think the fact is the USC team relies a lot on Caleb Williams. I don't think the Oregon team relies as much on Bo Nix. I think Oregon. I don't think Oregon goes in there and bodies them, but I think Oregon goes in there and they're, they're just they, Utah can't hang in drive for drive. I'm taking Oregon minus six and a half. Yeah, look, the one quote I always look to when deciding on Pac-12 games is they just always beat each other, and there's just no way that Utah is going to run the table on the Pac-12. It's just not happening. So Oregon's going to go in there and probably win, and then like lose to USC or some bullshit, or they end up. And then Utah's going to beat Washington. Yeah, like. The just the complete debauchery or however you want to call it that just takes place within the Pac-12, like it, it's just a concoction of the perfect mistake. It, it it's it, it's a honeymoon kid. It, it's a kid that you know you're riding too too high of a high, and you forgot to pull out a little too fat. You you're a little slow in the pullout, unfortunately. So now you got a honeymoon kid. That that's the Pac-12. Unfortunately, it's a it's a mistake, child. But you love that little mistake because without them, you don't have 10 o'clock football. Unfortunately, after this season, um, they're going to old yeller the shit out of the Pac-12, um, which honestly, we need to add that to a talking point later on in the pod. Um, how about the Pac-2, Wazoo, and Oregon State? Yeah, man, hold it down. If they if they somehow are able to pull it out and win the conference or just pulling all that money just to say like, hey – don't forget to close the door on the way out. Like, we don't need you. Although we'll be going somewhere else, too. Yeah, they're going to have to. There's no way they're going to stay. Yeah, just Wazoo and Oregon State. Big shout-outs to them. We'll talk about them later. But, yeah, as for this game, I think Oregon goes in there and gets it done. Utah's done tremendously well, considering not playing without Cam Rising this year. Kyle Whittingham, just absolute great coach. Phenomenal with what he's had to go through there. Nothing but respect for them. Unfortunately, I can only respect you so much, but I cannot fear you. And I do not fear the Utes, even at home in Mormon County, Utah. So I'm taking the Oregon Ducks. I want to bring up a talking point real quick, just because it's it's just, it, it's right here. Urban Meyer recently stated on, I think it was on Monday, that he thinks uh, Kyle Whittingham's the best coach in college football right now. Mm. What are your What are your thoughts on this? Um, I definitely think it is debatable. Like I just said, you know, considering what he has to deal with right now, um, I I think that makes him a contender for one of the top coaches in college football only because in terms of battling through adversity, he is that guy. Like he, he's a guy that you can trust to just get the job done year in and year out, no matter what happens, barring injuries or whatnot. A lot of the times what you see happen is, Coaches will get the benefit of the doubt because it's like, oh, you lost your star quarterback. Nothing was supposed to happen. This dude lost his star quarterback and was like, okay. They, they're legitimately like on a playoff run too. Exactly. And like to him, it doesn't matter. So I completely respect the statement by Meyer. I also think it was more so one of those, like, let me shout this guy out. Cause you know, people are, people are putting respect on his name kind of deals. Um, you know, there are so many factors that go into deciding what makes up like uh, the best college football coach. We talked about some of the points here already. Recruiting is a big part, factor in that. Your game planning, your second half adjustments. Just there's so much that go into what make a great head coach. To me, who's the number one coach in colleges? I mean, I'm obviously going to say Greg Schiano, but like that's I'm just a- biased. <laughs> 
I mean, recency bias, but I'm going to have to go with it because as a baseball player, you're only good as your last outing. I'm going to go with Kirby Smart. Hasn't lost in. Yeah, yeah, you could argue that. Yeah, hasn't lost in how long? Like, he, brother, like, it, it's Kirby Smart for me, like, through and through. I, I could have argued for Jim Harbaugh until recent events, but uh, right. we'll touch on that later. But, yeah. Here's that's- my stance on the Kyle Whittingham thing. I think you can 100% argue it. I think he's definitely a top five, top ten coach. And I think that's unarguable. That's a fact. You're- he has – there's a couple factors I want to bring up. First factor, he's done this all in the shadow. He has consistently had them at 10 wins for like six of the last eight years. Like he's been there for like 12 years straight and they've gone to like four or five BCS bowls. They've won like three pack 12 titles. Like, but then no one ever talks about it. Utah is always that two loss team. No one ever fucking talks about it. And then they get into a big game and they're like, Oh, this team is actually pretty good. Um, they never talk about him. That's, that's big. You know, he's just doing it all with the grind for the love of the sport. The other thing is, he has no advantages against other teams. They're never a top 20 recruiting class ever. It's so hard to recruit there. It's it's extremely hard. They kind of just take whatever they can get. You want to never drink again and never have sex? Come yeah. to Utah. Now, they do have some guys on their team that are very good. I'm not going to discredit him, but they're not bringing in Oregon recruiting class, USC recruiting class, UCLA recruiting class. Bucks just tied the game, by the way. Just wanted to let you. So his players aren't better. Their stadium – there's only 40,000 people, so they don't have a 12th man factor. Uh, hey, it, it gets rocking. <laughs> I'm not going to lie. Whenever yeah, do- bro, but you saw when the Florida players were like, this is the smallest stadium I've ever played in. Yeah. And I talked to Matt McDonald's dad, and he was like, the, the fans were not a factor because it's nothing like the SEC. Now, I'm not saying it's not a lit environment. I'm just saying it's not as impactful as the Swamp or like Dope Campbell or something like that. Yeah, I mean, hey, if you're comparing my dick size to Jason Love, I'm obviously not packing a punch, but that's not saying I can't put in work. Yeah, but, but I just I just think it comes down to pure coaching. I think there's a pro and con to this. Obviously, the pro is you're an amazing coach, and you can make it happen with whatever players you have because you do it year in and year out, and I have nothing but respect for the guy. I think he's an unbelievable coach. The con is I don't think he could coach the way he coaches with a bunch of five stars. You can't really make a system because they all want to be the piece. You know what I mean? Like it's really hard to coach the way he does with a bunch of superstars. You know, now I'm not saying he couldn't do it and I'm not saying he wouldn't make him better. I'm just saying there is a stylistic change of coaching a bunch of three stars and coaching a bunch of five stars. You know, it's, it's a little bit different. Those guys are going to do some things that these guys can't do. And these guys are going to bond a little bit better and maybe play better as a team than these guys will. But with that being said, I think Kyle Woodingham's a dog of a coach. I think he's, Unbelievable. I think if he makes the playoffs this year, you could give him coach of the year, depending on how their season ends. Um, our last game. Very interesting game. ACC hmm. matchup. Number 20, Duke traveling to number 18, Louisville at 330 on ESPN. Duke is five and two. Louisville is six and one. Two of the best defenses in college football right here between these two teams. Two of the best defenses, without a doubt. Um, but I want to talk about Duke real quick, dude. They have the hardest. Schedule in college football. Can we just agree on this? Like, holy shit, Duke schedule. They hosted number nine, Clemson. Then they hosted number 11, Notre Dame. Then they played at number four, Florida State. Now they're at 16, Louisville. Then in two weeks, they're at 17, North Carolina. Like, dude, they are just – they play a hell of a schedule. Um, I hopefully – I don't know. Do we know the update on Riley Leonard, if he's playing or not? Um, I believe he is good to go. 
I mean, they're carried no, by their they're no, carried no, by their. Do not quote me on that. All right. Well, either way, they're carried on their run offense. Whether it's Riley Leonard, whether it's with Jay Waters, they're carried on their run offense. This Louisville offense also it's not very electric. I mean, they don't really like do anything crazy. They're just consistent as shit, drive in and drive out. Um, Louisville coach, first year coach of Louisville. Uh, I can't remember his name. Jim Bower or something like that. I can't remember his name, but he's the old Purdue coach. On the other side, you got Tim Elko, who's being talked about for Coach of the Year for Duke. He won the ACC Coach of the Year last year. He's a dog. It's going to be a defensive game. It's going to be a gritty game. It's going to be a tough game. I don't have a pick. I'm going to be honest. I really don't. I think Duke's the better team, but I think that war with Florida State and the three wars they had before that, and then you're going into a Louisville environment that we saw Louisville pick apart Notre Dame. It's going to be hard, but at the same time, I – I don't know. It's Louisville minus four and a half. I'm gonna not touch it. I'm just gonna say, make sure you watch the game. That's that's what I'm gonna say for this one. Yeah, we may have the old 85-86 Bears out there. Um, this may be just a war in the trenches from both sides. Shout out our guy Anthony Nelson. Anthony uh, Nelson actually had a fourth and one stop in the opening drive versus the Florida State game to kind of put a stunner on Florida State crowd to open up that game. But FSU got the job done per usual. Regardless, though, looking at this game, dude, I'm honestly in more in favor of Duke. Look, I I completely agree with you on the idea of the whole taxation of tough, tough losses. Like it is it weighs down on you. Like when you lose those tough battles like that, like mentally, it just tears away at you. Like it's really hard to bounce back from that. But if there's a coach I trust to get that shit done and turn your guys around, it's Coach Elko. You know, he has turned this football program around at Duke. You know, Kirk Herbstreit said it, said it best. You know, I'm looking at the game and I'm seeing the Duke Blue Devil jerseys, but this ain't a Duke football team I'm watching. This is this is a good football team, and usually you don't associate those two. Duke and good football usually don't go in the same sentence. It just doesn't usually work like that. But they were able to piece something good together. They've got it all working. I really like what I'm seeing out of them. As for this game, you know, this is how I kind of see it playing out. You've already played at Florida State. You've played one of the best offenses in the country. You were able to put up 20-something points on Florida State, which isn't easy to do. And you and like I said, we're winning at half. Yeah. And you played in one of the toughest environments of all of college football. I don't care what the Louisville faithful have to offer. It ain't dope. So easier environment, a little bit easier team. Just play with that same intensity and that drive to win, and hopefully Riley Leonard doesn't go down and you will walk out of this with a win. So I do see Duke pulling off this win. I don't know if they'll cover. It will be a great defensive battle. I will be tuned in, but I am going to take Duke money line at least. Is that what's taking Duke? He's taking Duke, brother. He's taking Duke. We've got some topics to talk about. We've got some things. Mm. Real quickly to let's break. let's let's end off on the top one because this might this might run for a fucking minute if we if we open up with right, this. well I was just pulling up a uh, a talking point for that one so I'll just go fuck myself next one we have no clear number one Heisman no nope. we thought it was uh Caleb Williams he sucked ass we thought it was Michael Penix he didn't play well we thought it was Jordan Travis he threw a pick six there's not a clear number one guy right now it's not Bo Nix if you think it's Bo Nix you're not you're listening to the wrong podcast there's not a number one guy. Zach, without bias, who not saying who you think is going to win it, but who do you think is leading the race as of right now? Uh, I may not know who is winning or leading the race, but let me tell you this. The fact 
that J.J. McCarthy has even been mentioned in this Heisman race has pissed me off so bad. And now that he suddenly became the favorite, dude, holy shit. When did we become such a, I, I don't even know the word for it right now, but when did we become a thing where we look at college football and we're like, whoever, whoever, I guess the quarterback on the best team in the, on one of the best teams in the country is, why don't we just throw Carson back in there? Why, why, why don't we just throw his name up on the board? Cause he's done the same shit as JJ McCarthy. I know you may say like, actually Carson Beck's beaten ranked teams. Yeah, point made. Carson Beck at least has played tough, tough opponents. Whereas, hey, you know, maybe if I rolled out every week against a cupcake schedule and had two top five receivers and two top five running backs in my backfield. And the hey, best O-line in the country. Yeah, I may be able to put up uh, some good numbers week in and week out. And look, I'm not trying to shit on J.J. McCarthy saying there's a better option to have at Michigan at the quarterback position. But compared to how much, like, look, the let's be honest, the Heisman is equivalent to the MVP. It is the most valuable player in my eyes. That's how I view the award. You can't tell me J.J. McCarthy is the most valuable player yeah. on that team. If and you not took to him mention, off and you put the backup in, they would still be undefeated right now. Yeah. They would still I'd, be undefeated. I'd go, yeah, 100%. I'd probably agree with that. And, you know, I also look at it like this. When you watch a Heisman player play a game, he will always have – Maybe not the Heisman moment, but he has moments where you're like, dude, like this guy's this guy's legit. When I watch JJ McCarthy, hey, throwing a 30-yard touchdown pass to a guy who beat his defender by 28 yards means nothing to me. Me means absolutely nothing to me. Or that he throws a shitty ball and his wide receiver goes and makes a play means nothing to me. The fact that his name is even in the race pisses me off the lot beyond belief. Right now, I'm still probably going to say Michael Penix is the leading Heisman candidate only because, yes, he did have a bad game. But if you knock people off just because they have bad games, your Heisman winner is going to be dog shit at the end of the year. Dog shit. I promise you. But I just think where he's gotten his team up to this point, they're still winning games. But, like, you look at look at uh, Washington's case. Michael Penix had a bad game. Washington, Washington overall had a bad game. If J.J. McCarthy has a bad game, Michigan can still win by 30. Yeah. So that's kind of how I see it. I The only reason I still keep Jordan Travis way up there is the stats are really good. They're so undefeated. They play a tough schedule. He has probably the best quality wins on, the, on his resume thus far this year. And if he goes down, they're probably fucked. Yeah. Let's be honest. I would so, say I, I agree. Oh, I'm sorry, Finish. No, I was just going to say that that's how I view it. I'm probably going to have Michael Banks in the lead, but get JJ McCarthy the hell out of my Heisman race. I don't, I would rather put, I would rather see Bonix win than even hear JJ McCarthy's name. Yeah, me too. I'm not, I don't understand JJ McCarthy hype. I would also keep Michael Penix number one. I think if you take him out of Washington, they're a completely different team. And I think, yeah, he had one bad game, but besides that, dude, he's literally a video game character. You know, even against Oregon, he was a video game character. My number two, though, is going to – I'm going to give it to Jaden Daniels, quarterback at LSU. He's not the reason they've been losing. He's not. It's that their defense is fucking dog shit. But he is so good, dude. He puts up so many points and so much numbers. And he's kind of like a Utah situation where, like, no one's talking about LSU football. You know what I mean? Like, they lost that old Miss, and it was like, oh, that's the end. That's what I'm going to put my number two. I still don't think it's a clear, clear thing. Um yeah, that's all I really got to say um, <laughs> yeah, on that. You kind of, yeah, you kind of nailed it. Next, I want to talk about go back to the Pac-12 real quick. We got um, 
we got uh, Lincoln Riley. Loses to Utah. Then he goes in to um, then he goes in to his post game press conference, and he sounds like a little bitch. I don't know if you heard it or you listened to it, but he just starts blaming everyone other than himself, and he's like, "Well, you know, everyone expects us to be perfect, but last year we actually over exceeded expectations. So now people have higher expectations for us. When in reality, we we didn't even you know we just overplayed our bar, and we're still overplaying our bar." But now that we're showing our bar, it doesn't look as good. Brother, they didn't give you $150 million to suck. I don't give a fuck what you think. You have the best players. You have arguably the best player, and you're losing games. Yeah. Yeah, your bar is set pretty fucking high, dude. So stop trying to act like there's all this pressure on you. And then I read that he's been out of practice all week until today with pneumonia, being getting treated for pneumonia. I don't know how real that is. I don't know if it is. I don't know if it isn't. Either way, don't talk big when you win and then act small when you lose. Keep the same fucking energy, Lincoln Riley. Keep the same energy. Yeah, look, this is what I'm going to address about the situation. If Nick Saban came out in an interview one day and was like, we've actually, you know, I think the bar has been set too high for us over the years. Um, we're actually just showing our true colors now. Um, I, I, think, I think Alabama would end his, terminate his contract immediately. Yeah. Immediately. What what honestly those comments by Lincoln Riley just show me is you're a bitch. Like you you're charm and soft. You're a cupcake. Whatever word you want to associate with the term soft, that's what you are, brother. Like you do not have the like it'd be different if a player came out and said that where he was like, I feel like we're showing our true colors. That's one thing. As a coach, you are a leader of 50 to 70 men every Saturday who trust you with their lives and education. They they elected to move across the country to follow you to California, where you reside in a million-dollar mansion and can cower behind your words. What is that? What is that? To say, you know, oh, we've actually exceeded expectations. The expectation was you for you to be a college football playoff team and to whoop the shit out of everyone. And what have you done? What have you accomplished? How many Pac-12 titles do you have? None. You can't even beat Utah. You're 0-3 versus Utah. You lost to Tulane. You lost to Tulane in a bowl game. You lost to a non... Are they non-Power 5? Yeah, they're group of five. You lost to a group of five team in a New York 6 bowl game. You should be ashamed, humiliated. You, I, I don't even know how you sleep at night if it weren't for your... Reclined dollar sheets. Yeah, <laughs> If it weren't for your silk sheets and your <laughs> reclining, vibrating bed, I don't know how you sleep at night. That's pretty good. Because <laughs> if me, if that was me, if I would turn on a game of NCA fourteen and I lost to a group of five team, I'd be in practice mode for a week. I wouldn't even turn on my PS three. I think I'd I think I'd quit. I, I'd retire. And here you hey guys, are. I know I've only one year into being head coach, but uh, it was a good run. Yeah, we lost. We lost to. Sam Houston, um, I quit. Oh, that's fucking yeah. So yeah, Lincoln Riley, you're you're just soft, man. Get get it together. Otherwise, next time, n- next year when you go to recruit, be like, oh yeah, I'm here to recruit. I'm here to recruit you to a school. Uh, you know, we're gonna lose a game or two. Uh, if we do end up making the Pac-12 championship, we're gonna lose. And uh, oh yeah, never, we're never gonna sniff the college football playoff. That's your true colors. That that's who you really are. That's sad, man. 
That's sad. Um, speaking on that, I want to shit on another coach. Dude, when are we going to get over James Franklin? When are we going to get over this? He goes 10 and 2 every year. Like, what, what the nothing has changed. Literally, nothing has changed. They lost to Ohio State, close game. And then after the game, he goes, How are you not going to say those are the two best teams in college football? That's what you say every fucking time, bro. You can't beat them. Like, I don't know what it is. He's 1 and 12 versus them. How he's still at Penn State, I have no idea. It's just he's a great recruiter. I mean, but it's not that hard to recruit to Penn State, bro. Like, look at a fucking home game there. It's just like, I don't understand why, like, he's still considered, like, an elite coach. Or, like, there's still, Penn State's still, like, an elite program. It's good to, too. Like, like it's the same shit. He makes the same excuses. Plus, he's a, a redshirt freshman quarterback and Drew Alar starting, right? This kid plays the worst game of his life. Goes into post-game media. And he's just bawling his eyes out in interviews. And he's like, I fucking played terrible. I lost the game for my team. Yada, yada, yada. James Franklin's nowhere in sight. Nowhere near the kid. You'd think he'd sit right next to his kid and be like, don't ask that question. Or like he'd be speaking for him. Have his back. Yeah, young kid. There's no one there. He's by himself. He's by himself crying in these interviews. Like, I I lost the game for my team. I'm so bad. Like, I did this. James Franklin's nowhere to be found. I'm sorry. I I just – I don't think he's a bad guy. I just don't think he's an elite coach. I think he got lucky going to Penn State. He he had Saquon to beat Ohio State once, and he just rode that for the rest of his career. Yep. I mean, maybe that's all it takes for to be a Penn State great. You beat – they go through his resume, and they list off all his wins, and, like, and he had one win during his tenure against Michigan. And he doesn't touch kids. All right, good. You got the job. <laughs> that's what they, they say for last. And they're like, and, and. Never touched a child. Standing ovation. They're like, we need him. We need him. Everyone in the stadium rises, and they're like, thank fucking God. Thank God. Their interview process for head coach, they're like, like, do you think you can beat Ohio State, Michigan? Not a chance. Okay. Okay. Not Doesn't disqualify you. Doesn't disqualify you. They're like, would you – they're like, we're going to give you a scenario. You may or may not be in the shower. There may or may not be an underage kid near you. Do you have the urge to interact with them? No. Welcome to the team. You're hired, you're hired brother. Welcome to the team. Can you go 10 and 2? Yeah. All right. You're hired, brother. Hired. Hired, hired, man. Hey, <laughs> thank you. Thank you. That, that, that's all we need. But yeah. yeah that, well, uh, you want to bring up the next talking point with the Wazoo and Oregon State? Yeah. Just a quick little shout out. We, may need to, we, we don't need to have a full conversation about it, but just. What a year for both these teams. You look at Oregon State, uh, DJ Ukulele. Uh, I promise I'll learn how to pronounce your name one day if you make it big time. If not, I may not learn it. I'm sorry. But you've played quality football all year this year. Pac-12 has been kind of thrown under the bus. And, you know, you got to blame the TV deals for just not getting secured because it's really hard to tune into your games. And when people aren't watching your games, it's hard to care about it unless you're from those areas. Problem is with a lot of these other teams, you know, no one – I'm not near Florida State, but I watch every Florida State game. I know what's going on. With the Pac-12, most of their games are on at 10. I stayed up for that Colorado game one night. Dude, the game didn't get over until 3 in the morning. I was like, I'm never watching this shit again. Yeah, it's longer than a UFC fight. Yeah, I'm not – and here's the thing. I don't care how exciting the game is, dude. If I'm tired of shit, I'll just watch the highlights in the morning. I just, yeah, that's what I did. I fell asleep after. Yeah, dude, this lightning just won 6-0. to zero. Holy shit. Yeah, so – that that's kind of how I look at it. Like, dude, I don't care how exciting your games are, dude. If I just don't check the ESPN score bug in the morning, I can just watch your highlights as if they're brand new to me. Like, that's just what I do. E- easy as that. But 
you know, I do hope they find their way to fit into some good conferences. If they keep playing well, I'm pretty sure people are, are going to be attracted to the style of play that they offer and just the, the views that they would bring in. I just think it'd be better for them. But yeah, just wanted to give a quick shout out to them, especially, you know, I, I was wrong earlier on my metaphor. I said that the Pac-12 was more of like a mistake child on the honeymoon. It's more of like a family. And Utah is the middle child where like their success goes unrecognized just because they're not the oldest or the youngest. Whereas Oregon State and Washington State are like the stepchildren. Like they were kids outside of the marriage. Like they were like, yeah, here's your step. Like you see them every like every Thanksgiving, maybe, or like every third Christmas. I don't know. There's just follow each other on Instagram. You don't really yeah, yeah, yeah. You see each other on Instagram. They may reach out to you. Their Facebook will get hacked or some shit, and you'll remind your mom to reach out to them. Who knows? <laughs> that, just, that just seems like the type of situation that they're living in the Pac-12. So That's you know, awesome. That's how I see it. But let, yeah, let's, let's get, get to the reason we're here. Yeah. Ooh. Mm. University of Michigan is under some controversy. First, they had those recruiting stuff in the beginning of the year. Now they're getting talked about for stealing signs from other teams. A lot of coaches are like, listen, everyone fucking does it. It all happens. It is what it is. But now it's being told that um, they're actually – the rumor is they're hiring this guy on the coaching staff named Connor Stallions, and he was actually traveling two games and stealing signs. That's where it's like, whoa, that's way, way too deep. Um, first of all, Harbaugh like denounced all of it and everything. And then there's like someone posted a picture of that guy standing right behind Harbaugh with like 10 different sheets of paper. And they're like, he's literally standing behind Harbaugh with the signs. Um, the second thing is, um, what was I going to say? They're denying it. Uh, oh yeah. Matt rule made a really good point on this in high school football. Everything's electronic in the NFL. Everything's electronic. In college, you still have to fucking call the play calls. He's like, just change it. Just adapt. It would get rid of this problem anyways. You know why? You know why? Mm -mm. Because they vote on it every year. And half the coaches said that... Here were were the excuses that they came up with. It's too much money. It's not reliable. It's an unfair advantage. NCAA makes a lot of money. Yeah, I the NFL has implemented QB technology like helmet technology since 1994. They were still calling each other racial slurs at that time. You don't you don't think you could put a shitty little walkie talkie in his headset, like just shove it in there and just be like, go deep over. And it, that, 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 that that's really all you need. And they're like they come up with all these excuses. No, what's really happening is you're all cheating. You're all cheating. And you just, you don't want to get caught. You don't want to give up that advantage. And I don't blame you. I don't blame you. Look, take whatever slight or advantage you get. And look, Michigan happened to step over the line. Here's where I'm going to kind of go off on my little tangent here, because this is what's crazy to me. Well, I have a a crazy thing too, that when you're done, I have some. Yeah, we're probably, we're probably going to get into it because I've been reading more and more. Apparently teams have been selling each other, other teams. That's what I have written right here. That's what I have right here. Um, apparently, last year in the college football semifinal game, Sonny Dykes was aware of Michigan sign stealing. So he had a full – he told his players, coaches came out and said they had dummy signs, which were their old signs that they knew they stole, would show them so that they would know the play call 
and then the players would ignore it and get the real play call. So that's why TCU had so many insane big plays because Michigan would be totally committed to one play and then the whole other side of the field is wide open. And if that isn't the most obvious thing in the world and honestly goaded behavior from TCU. Yeah. All that told me was essentially they were like, Yo, we're gonna beat Michigan, and then we're gonna get our ass ran through by Georgia. Because yeah, fun. no, but it's also hard because instead of being like, "Oh, we should snitch on them," it's like, "Nah, fuck them. Let them use it. Let them yeah. use it." That is the art of war. That is the art of war, ladies yeah. and gentlemen. No, do not let your don't let your opponent know they're making a mistake. Let them make the mistake and capitalize on it. That is Sonny Dykes is a dog for that. Yeah, but let's let's talk about the point because I know you probably looked at this more. I only skimmed over it about the selling of the game plans. Yeah, to South Carolina. Yeah, not only that, but Harbaugh's coaching tree, like three or four coaches that have been. So I can read it to you right now. Go for it, please. So this tweet was posted by College Football Kings, CFB Kings on Twitter. And they're quoting an article from the Football Scoop. Okay. So if you guys want to go check everything, this is the tweet. A recent article from Football Scoop notes that Michigan may have attempted to assist the opposition of a potential college football opponent in an effort to disrupt that team's potential path to playoff. It was released Tuesday that Michigan staffer Connor Stallions, who we were just talking about, has purchased tickets to games outside of the Big Ten, including Georgia, Alabama, Tennessee, and Clemson. This is where it gets crazy. It's right here. Get ready. Immediately following a 38-6 loss to Florida, who finished 6-7, and seven, this is last year, South Carolina erased the playoff hopes of Tennessee and Clemson in back-to-back weeks sending them both to the Orange Bowl. Could this be who the article refers to? Against South Carolina last year, before tearing his ACL, Tennessee quarterback Hendon Hooker went 25 for 42, which is 59.5% passers uh, completion. His lowest completion percentage of any game last season, lowest including SB 35-plus passes. Against South Carolina last year, Clemson quarterback DJ Ugalele went 9 for 28, which is a 27.6% the lowest completion percentage of any game in his career. In 2014, while at Virginia Tech, Shane Beamer accepted leaked info on Wake Forest's game plan prior to their matchup. He was fined $25,000 two years later when he was an assistant at Georgia. Additionally, South Carolina's defensive coordinator, Clayton White, was on Jim Harbaugh's defensive staff for three years at Stanford. Dude, this shit is deep. It's getting insanely deep dude see this when this whole cheating scandal dropped i thought this was just a little this is a little bonfire that's why i thought too i thought it was a little fuck michigan thing yeah the problem now is this is a forest fire shit is getting wrung out across college football there will be hellfire to pay because i promise you this once one big dog goes down everyone's getting aired out everyone and i like anyone that may have even like picked up on it or done something like is they are getting exposed i promise you that and if not someone is going to get silenced someone is going to be the downfall of this whole operation and i feel bad for them they were they're honestly the if if someone's able to take the blame and no one else gets any heat for this i'll be shocked because they're they would be considered a college football hero in the upper society of the the Illuminati of college football, essentially. Because right now, there's a lot of shit that's more and more stories are coming out and people are starting to be like, yep, this is true. This is happening. 
Like you're just now realizing like, this is insane to me because it seems like now that a lot of game footage is being released from the past where like whole sidelines are aware of what's coming and coaches just don't give a shit. They're just like, yep. They're like, all right, they know our place. Like, Paul Feinbaum thinks, uh, thinks Harbaugh is gone after this year. He thinks it's just one with the opportunity and with so, he's in so deep that he's just going to dip before it gets to him and he's going to fuck Michigan. Yep. Got Hey, got, gotta happen. Gotta happen. It's just uh, like, listen, I understand that like, like part of it probably started because everyone hates Michigan. Like I, I, I'm not going to disagree with that. I'm, yeah. But it's getting deep and it's getting to the point where it's like, there's a lot of fucking puzzle pieces for this to be a rumor. Like there's a lot of things moving for all of these things to not be true. Yeah. Like, and the people out there, that are, the people out there that are saying, Oh, it's all smoke. Like it, like, it's not really like what's actually happening. Fire's a lot bigger than I'm you not think. saying it. I'm not saying it's all happening. I'm just saying it. Some sh- shit's happening. Yeah. No, there. Do I think Harbaugh is the only guy doing it? No, not at all. But it doesn't matter when you're the only one got caught. Yeah. There's a lot going into this, in my opinion. So it's still fuck Michigan, though. Sorry, Caleb. Yeah. Nah, nah. I saw Caleb glazing the shit out of Michigan on Twitter, man. He he anytime someone tweets something, like Dog Kleiman tweeted something about that story you were just reading off, Caleb quote tweeted like, if anyone believes this cap, they're out of their mind. Bullshit. <laughs> Dude, Caleb talks so much shit to me when Dylan, like, he'll send me uh, shit of J.J. McCarthy. He's like, he's him, bro. You guys are so jealous. You don't have him. Like, dude, he's so fucking good. I'm like, dude, I would way rather take Jordan Travis. I'd rather take A.J. Duffy and Rodemaker over J.J. McCarthy in our offense. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. But, uh, yeah, that's everything. Yeah. Coach everything. Week nine, episode 110. Zach Watts, any last words? Mm, what can I leave our viewers with? Go Knowles, baby. And down with the blue. My quote of the day is, we suffer more in our imagination than in reality. Oh, we're doing quotes? I feel like we should end with a quote every time. Be yeah. I, got, I got a quote since I've never really said one. My favorite quote of all time is, man cannot remake himself or rebuild himself without sacrifice. For he is both the marble and the sculptor. That's the guy sculpting himself. <laughs>